And that will do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure after you finish listening to this show that you go and tell your smart device to play today's episode of Hollinger and Duncan. Go and support those guys out. Always recording great shows for the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. And the network is at Locked On NBA Net. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Locked On NBA. The biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with Locked On Podcast Network hosts as we're still in COVID-19 lockdown. We talk to the hosts of the Locked On Bucks podcast, Kane Pittman. We go to Minnesota to speak with Ben Beacon of Locked On Wolves, and we go to David Ramel of Locked On Heat to talk about their fandom of their teams, their favorite players, some unsung heroes, and some great memories from those three franchises. It's all coming up, the biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd, and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. We're going to be checking in with some hosts across the Locked On Podcast Network to talk about some of their history with the teams that they cover, their fandom, their favorite players, all of that good stuff. So let's get to it. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Timberwolves podcast, Ben Beacon, is here with me. Ben, you are obviously covering the Timberwolves for the Locked On Wolves podcast, but how long have you been a fan of the team? Man, I've been a fan since, geez, I don't know, since I was a kid. So we're talking like probably late 90s, safely. Okay, so we're talking a pretty a pretty long period of time here. Were you, uh, were you around or cognizant of sports when the, the Timberwolves came into existence? No, I was I was born in '88, so I was I was not really aware of what was going on until probably mid to late '90s, and then I think probably uh, yeah, I don't know. My earliest memories are probably some of those first Timberwolves first round exits, late '90s um, Timberwolves Supersonics, um, kind of '97, '98. Uh, those those years are the are the first my first memories of the of the team. So how did you get involved in, in being interested in them? Obviously, they're the local team, but there are other local teams around, around, of course, the Vikings, the Twins, in terms of other sports. When the franchise was announced, sure. was it your family that was like, a cool, now we've got a basketball team, and then they introduced you that way? Or was it other things that got you uh, involved with the Timberwolves? Yeah, I think it was more just that that basketball was the sport that um, that like I could play with my friends easily. I mean, we could just play outside. We could go play Nerf basketball, whatever. It was a lot easier than I was a big baseball fan, especially too, and, and also a big football fan. But basketball was the most accessible for just hanging out, playing with friends. You could just play with one other friend. It wasn't like you had to get a whole group together to play a game of baseball. And um, that was probably number one. And then also Kevin Garnett. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big sports fan overall, and Garnett's. I mean, he's my favorite athlete of all time, regardless of sport. So, you know, we, um, and he was at the peak of his powers in the late nineties, early two thousands when I was in, you know, growing up and everything. So, um, that was, uh, that was probably the other reason would be, would be Garnett and just how dominant he was And Minnesota sports. Didn't have all that many guys who were, you know, uh, nationally known for being, uh, for being at the, at the peak of their powers. 
you were, I was going to get into that into terms of who your favorite player was for the Wolves. It's, it's obviously Kevin Garnett. But for those people who weren't necessarily following the NBA around that you know, late 90s, early 2000s period, can you sort of explain just how big of a star Garnett was? Yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was a perennial all-star, um, which, you know, was was massive. And, and there was kind of this Garnett-Tim Duncan rivalry in the Western Conference. And obviously the Spurs almost always got the best of the Timberwolves. And, and Duncan's, you know, they're part of the same Hall of Fame class now, actually. But, um, you know, one of the one of the best classes ever, obviously. But um, there was kind of this, this head-to-head between Duncan and Garnett. And there was, you know, I, there's a little there's a little bit of, in Minnesota, there's a little bit of this infer, infer, inferiority complex with the Twin Cities being a smaller market. And, and, you know, to see Garnett be like a legit, I mean, for a while, he was a top five player in the league. Um, you're talking right at the turn of the millennium there. Um, then he won the MVP in 2004. Um, and and for the the Wolves had gone the first seven years of their existence without any true stars. Uh, they didn't even have an all-star until Garnett made it in, I think it was 96, um, in like his second year in the league, um, second or third year in the league. So really to to have a guy who, who put the Timberwolves on the map, brought them to the playoffs for the first time, um, won an MVP eventually in 2004, and be widely considered one of the top five players in the league was huge. Um, and and really just a transcendent star. I think you pull people now, people are probably going to say he's a generally a top 25 player, certainly top 30 player all time in NBA history. So that brings me to the next point then about Garnett. We talk about his importance, but the recent sort of souring of relationships and Garnett you know, really calling out Glenn Taylor uh, in terms of how he's you know, not doesn't want to be coming back into the fold as such. Like, how does that feel as a Timberwolves person, the animosity that remains here between Garnett and the franchise? Well, it definitely hurts. It's, uh, it's not something that, um, that anybody... <laughs> I, I, unfortunately, it's not all that surprising, both from just the Timberwolves and their um, and their history, and just kind of how things have gone as a franchise, and then also um, related to uh, related to Garnett himself. And you know, there was this initial breakup with the Timberwolves where Glenn Taylor made some comments after Garnett left related to you know to KG Millet in at the end of the year, which of course was absurd. And then so there was that initial broken relationship. And then Flip Saunders mended it when he came back to the front office. He traded for Garnett. He convinced KG to waive his no trade clause and, you know, to come from Brooklyn to come to a losing Minnesota team. And it was it felt like there was going to be this ride off into the sunset type moment with Garnett, which just felt perfect and almost too perfect. Unfortunately, um, you know, Flip Saunders obviously tragically got um, got lymphoma and, and passed away. And there was never this this healing moment between Garnett and, and the owner, Glenn Taylor. And then when Tom Thibodeau took over, um, Tibbs was completely content with just buying out Garnett, letting him retire. And that was it. There was no retirement ceremony. There was no anything. And it just kind of felt wrong, but there was this, this hope that maybe, maybe it was just Tibbs and maybe things were fine. But as it turns out, clearly Glenn Taylor and Kevin Garnett don't get along. Uh, this is now their second kind of fracture in their relationship. And clearly by recent comments that you alluded to from Garnett, I mean, there's no, there's no Jersey retirement on, on the horizon. And it sounds like Glenn Taylor is ready to make it happen. The the only kind of silver lining is that Garnett is apparently, he had been close with Ryan Saunders, the Timberwolves new coach. Uh, there's some other guy, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, he's, he's still friends with. Um, so there are some bridges there that could be gap 
or uh, some bridges that could be uh, you know built, um, some gaps that could be bridged, um, and, and so hopefully it happens not too long after the Celtics jersey retirement next year, which it hurts that they're going to retire his jersey before the Timberwolves, uh, but but hopefully it happens before too long. And Glenn Taylor, as recently as a couple years ago, was considering selling the team anyways, um, and, and who knows how much you know he's in his mid 80s i don't know how much longer he's going to hang on to the team before deciding to sell unfortunately the timberwolves timberwolves fans are probably going to have to wait until the team's sold before garnett comes back to to retire you know number 21 yeah that's sort of the way it feels to me is that it is going to require taylor to be out for things to really be smoothed over last question for you ben who is a player on this Timberwolves team that is uh, sort of an underrated player, someone that you stand for, someone that you, you know, will go into bat for ahead of, you know, or, or over most other people and people go, you're crazy, Ben, like this guy wasn't good. Who's that guy for you? Yeah. Are you t- current Timberwolves or all, all time? All time. All time. All time. Um, man. So I think a lot of, a lot of Timberwolves fans who follow, um, who are really into Wolves blogs and Wolves podcasts, um, probably know just how valuable a player Ricky Rubio was. He's my second favorite Timberwolf all time after Kevin Garnett. I think because of a combination of the passion he played with, he was an underrated defender, really good defender. And again, you know, fans that are really into the team will know just how good of a defender he was. Um, and especially rookie and, and second year, Ricky Rubio was still played with that joy and passion that he did in Spain offensively and was willing to try different things. And under Rick Adelman as head coach was behind the back passing and no look passing. Some of those things kind of went away as he played for other coaches, Sam Mitchell and Tom Thibodeau uh, definitely come to mind and uh, kind of kind of uh, put out the flame a little bit with Ricky Rubio. And unfortunately, um, Tibbs traded him away. And there was a rumor that the Wolves were interested in him this last offseason as a backup option if D'Angelo Russell didn't come through. And D'Lo didn't come through at the time. Rubio ended up signing with the Suns before the Wolves could get to him. But uh, Rubio is one of those guys who he's always going to be seen as a as a Timberwolf for life by Wolves fans in, in the Twin Cities. Um, you know the passion he played with, and the the bright light that he was in a really dark time in Timberwolves history that during that playoff drought. So. Um, Certainly, uh, Ricky Rubio for me. Yeah, Rubio was one for me as well. I was always a massive fan yeah. of him uh, in his Minnesota days and, and even still now. And uh, I thought he's been criminally underrated by not only his own fans, but fans around the league. Ben, thank you for coming on uh, onto Lockdown NBA and talking about your history with the Wolves. Those of you who want to hear about what's happening with the Timberwolves across this hiatus can go check out Ben over on Lockdown Wolves. Thanks again, Ben. Absolutely. Thank you. Now I bring in the host of the Locked On Heat podcast, David Ramil is here with me. David, the Miami Heat haven't got as long of a history as many teams in the NBA, of course, an expansion team in the early 90s. When did you uh, jump on board the Heat bandwagon? Well, not bandwagon, but when did you, when did you jump on the Heat team and, be, uh, and follow them as your NBA team? Well, I kind of started following basketball in general in the early 90s. And by, you know, no other choice, uh, you know, available to me, I kind of started following the Heat. They weren't particularly good at that point, although they had some young up-and-coming players like Glenn Rice and Steve Smith. It's hard to think of them now as being young players, but that was the case at that point in time. And they started slowly creeping their way into the postseason, reaching the playoffs. Of course, they were swatted away by Michael Jordan and the Bulls. But I think... Everybody in South Florida, their fandom really ratcheted up in 1995 when Pat Riley joined the team and made that trade from Glenn Rice to Charlotte in order to acquire Alonzo Mourning. And then from there, it kind of just snowballed. I I think you started to see much more postseason success. They were title contenders within just a few years of Riley's acquisition. And so uh, from there, it just kind of grew and grew. And of course, you know, they've had, you know, a lot more success than a lot of franchises has. But I, I think. The early 90s was really where my fandom started. 
Yeah, once uh, once morning came, then we had you know, Wade getting drafted and Shaq coming across, and of course LeBron and Bosch and all those guys coming across to this team to now be considered you know a a pretty solid you know, NBA powerhouse, free agent destination, uh, a long callback from where they were in that early nineties. I remember those. Uh, I remember those Steve Smith teams back uh, back when they uh, first entered into the league back then. Now, in terms of you know memories with this team, yeah, a lot of people will look at the Heat and go, "Well, we, let's talk about the LeBron era. That's that's the era that everyone has." in a national memory sense of this team but is that the team that you remember most fondly from this uh, from this franchise uh probably not I, I think it goes be- before actually even Dwayne Wade's arrival in Miami I think the the Alonzo morning eras were the ones where I was most heavily invested emotionally in watching those teams succeed and of course they always fell short there was always the New York Knicks obstacle but those were just really fun teams to watch in terms of so different as far as their style of play is concerned. They were much more focused on defense. They were so physical. They had Alonzo Mourning, Dan Marley, Tim Hardaway Sr., of course. It's funny to mention Tim Hardaway, knowing that his son is actually an active NBA player now. But those teams were really where I was most closely aligned as far as my fandom was concerned. Watching them beat up on other teams over the course of an 82-game season and then face the Knicks in the playoff for those crucial battles that always went to seven games uh, you know they were just slugfests I know that's kind of cliche but that was the reality there were fights on a number of occasions whenever the Knicks and Heat met up in the playoffs and those were always just fun 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 games to really watch and of course Miami they didn't even really win a lot of those they, they wound up losing I think three of the four series in which they matched up in the postseason but it didn't really seem to matter at least as a fan you're always invested in thinking that they're going to be able to take it to the next level they never really did they never won a title and of course until 2006, but for me, my fandom began watching Alonzo Mourning battling Patrick Ewing, watching Tim Hardaway go up against Chris Childs and Charlie Ward. Those were the teams where I was really mostly a fan. So when we talk about your favorite player then from the Heat, do I assume that it is Alonzo Mourning or is it Wade? Is it LeBron? Like who's your favorite player over the, the period that you've been following the team? I, I guess it'd probably be morning, but I, I think it's also evolved a little bit into Chris Bosch because just Chris Bosch, the person, and I've been so fortunate enough to actually be able to speak to him and, and, and you know, to watch his career here in South Florida. I, I would have to say morning was probably the, the player that I loved the most earlier on, but that's probably changed a little bit to now where it's actually Chris Bosch just because of the, the player he is off the court and going and seeing what he was like as far as a player, watching his game evolve uh, during his heat stint, and then of course knowing that he faced uh, a life-threatening disease, and that it was gonna, it, it would wind up costing him his NBA career. All these things, I, I think, really make Chris probably the player that I appreciate the most. It's hard to say that I, I, you know, he's the player that I like the most because, of course, now you're supposed to be somewhat unbiased as media. But I, I've always appreciated being able to talk to Chris, seeing him interact with media members and things of that sort. And he's just, he's been a great player, obviously. Yeah, look, Bosch, you know, I've never spoken to him, but from afar, he, he just seems like a really good bloke, really friendly, really um, yeah, engaging from all the instances I've seen him interacting with the media and, of course, hearing stories like yours and from many other people of just how, how fun of a guy or how, how good of a guy he is in the locker room that obviously would sway some opinions because it, it's great to be, you know, you watch them on TV and, and they're, oh, look at these great things that they're doing, but then to also have a, a compassionate side and a really strong human element to, to what they do is, uh, is something that I think is, as you get older as well, David, you can probably um, agree with this or at least uh, understand this. As you get older, you, you value those things a little bit more in players as well, that they can be good in in multiple areas of their life. And I think Bosch 
fits that bill. But if we're looking at a player who maybe is a little bit underrated, everyone knows Bosch and LeBron and Wade and Morning. Who's that guy that flies under the radar? Heat fans may not even remember, or even Heat fans might go, David, what's wrong with you? Like that guy wasn't that good. Like who's that player for you? Oh, wow. That's, that, there's so many different options because they've always had kind of guys that just always flew under the radar or, or were trying to align themselves with championship success. But two guys that kind of stand out with me because they wound up having really great careers, but in Miami, their, their stints were either cut short or they never really fulfilled promise. And that's Eddie Jones and Brian Grant. They were brought in uh, following uh, the 2000 season, and they were supposed to help propel Miami into a title contention. And that was at the same time when Alonzo developed his life-threatening kidney disease that wound up taking him out of action for almost two years. And so Eddie Jones, obviously a very great Laker, Brian Grant, a success in Sacramento and Portland, but they were part of teams here in Miami that just never really achieved much, you know, much success. And, and so it was unfortunate kind of seeing them at the tail end of their careers, they were really be able to push for the postseason. They kind of just hung out in between eras because there was the Alonzo morning era and then Dwayne Wade took over the team in 2003. And in between, it was Eddie Jones and Brian Grant carrying the team to the best of their ability. So those are two guys that I really liked watching. But you can also make a strong case for Lamar Odom. His one year here in, in Dwayne's rookie season, 2003-2004, was a great team. He was so young, energetic, such a joy to watch. And I think the beginning, we started to see the, the kind of early stages of where he would wind up becoming when he eventually he wound up you know, winning titles, multiple titles in Los Angeles alongside Kobe Bryant. But that young player that, that you know, joined the Heat in 2003 was just such a departure from uh, the teams that we had had here for the past couple of years. He was so, you know, he was a point forward. He was a guy we'd never seen before in Miami as far as his ability to bring the ball up, create plays for others. He was just a joy to watch. You bring up Eddie Jones. I've been doing a lot of historical lookbacks in the NBA, and Jones is a name that always comes up for his big seasons in uh, in LA and uh, with the Hornets as well. He had that one really big season. I never really you know, dove into his time with Miami. He played five seasons in Miami, which again, when you look back and you think of him as a Laker, and then he had that you know, absolute monster season there for Charlotte in, in 99, 2000. But I forgot about those Miami seasons of how he was pretty productive in those first couple of seasons, those first four or five seasons that he played there in Miami. David, thank you for coming on and talking about your history with the Miami heat your heat fandom and uh going strolling down memory lane with us here david will have it all covered for you all heat news over on locked on heat throughout the coming weeks as we anxiously await the return of the nba season david thanks for coming on absolutely always a pleasure now let's bring in the host of the Locked On Bucks podcast. Kane Pittman is here with me. Kane, of course, you are from my home country, my home state of Victoria here in Australia. So how the hell did you become a Bucks fan? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I actually started watching the NBA or the first games of NBA that I watched were back in the 2001 season. And I saw the Bucks and the Hornets in the second round of the playoffs and Ray Allen went absolutely berserk. And really, from that point on, uh, not only did I did I love Ray Allen, but I, I stuck with the Bucks. And of course, they they went to the conference finals, went to Game Seven against the Sixers, and then uh, things fell away very very quickly. And, and Ray Allen was gone a couple of couple of seasons later. But uh, we stuck with the Bucks after that. That was that was a fun sort of ride to jump on the bandwagon, I suppose you could say. And then a couple of years after that, they also they drafted an Aussie. They had Andrew Bogut with the number one overall pick. So yeah, I always stuck with the Bucks. I must admit, when I first watched those games i thought that i i was going to be in for a much more enjoyable ride over the next 15 16 17 years than it was but uh that's the way it goes sometimes 
Now, you know, in doing these interviews with people, a lot of the time when people are picking teams, if it isn't sort of something that's in their family, a lot of these teams get chosen during that formative, you know, when you're really sort of you're getting into sports and watching sports and forming your own opinions. So, you know, Kane, how old were you around that time? Just to sort of tie it into my other, you know, re- you know loosely held research that I'm doing. Yeah, I was 11. I would have yeah. been 11 or 12 around that time. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, here in Australia, we know we've spoken about this before, but I'm a Geelong uh, Cats fan in Australian football because that's where I grew up and that's where I live. But the American sports is always a bit of a, a random story, I, I find, with most people. But for me, it really was Ray Allen. And, and how exciting that Bucks team was, Sam Cassell, Glenn Robinson. They were fun to watch. I think that's, that's nearly always the answer. It's like getting to the end of primary school uh, around that 11, 12, 13, start of high school, yeah. you're you know, branching out, you're able to search things up or search things out for yourself and you're getting influenced by others. And that's the exact same time frame for me when I became a Bulls fan. Of course, I've long since disavowed that nonsense of a uh, franchise. <laughs> but that... Um, that time frame seems to be the, the common thread, of course. Now you cover the Bucks uh, for, for Locked On Bucks. I've been over there in Milwaukee plenty of times and looking at them, so a, a big step from uh, from old sleepy Geelong. So is it fair to say that Ray Allen's your favorite Bucks player of all time? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, he like I said, he, he wasn't around for long, but I always appreciated Ray even after he left Milwaukee. I, I stuck with the Bucks and watched them uh, more closely than, than any other team, but yeah, Ray Allen, particularly back then when he when he was on the Bucks. I mean, he wasn't just a shooter like we saw uh, in Miami when he was sort of the fourth, fifth, fifth option in that offense. I mean, he was the number one guy. He was putting the ball on the floor. He could get to the rack. He could dunk on you. He was a, a very, very entertaining player. So yeah, Ray Allen, and then and then obviously now. I mean, it's hard not to to sit back and like you sort of said for me. I've been fortunate enough to to be in Milwaukee the last two seasons and watching Giannis every day. I mean, it's uh, it's also pretty special to see that. The Ray Allen one, I was going to just ask you about that as well because yeah, we have that memory of him not only from Miami but even from his Boston days where it's like, yeah, he's a, he's a good scorer but he's he's very much in that area like he's JJ Redick. He goes and scores 15 points and he hits two or three threes per game and that's what he is. He's just a spot-up shooter who gets lots of opportunities because he's really good at it. But in his Milwaukee days and his Seattle days as well, he was very much more than that. He was a dominant guy who'd get to the rack, who'd you know, slam it on your head, who could pass the ball, who could do just so much as a number one option, not a number three. I, really good number three option but he had so much more than that and go and watch those clips of Allen in a Bucks uniform and in a Sonics uniform as well and just see the sort of stuff that you didn't get to see when he was yeah because he when he came to Boston he was 32 years of age like he was yeah you know, at the end yeah. of his prime if not out of his prime and that's a lot of the memories because we're talking you know, that's his you know 12 years ago when he was a member of the the Celtics so we're talking about 20 years here when he was really in his prime and it is uh, really interesting to go and watch those clips to see exactly what Allen was able to do back at the early part of his career through those uh, Milwaukee and Seattle days now Kane Giannis is great Current Bucks fans love him. Everyone loves Giannis across the league. But who's a player for you across watching the Bucks for these 20-odd years? Who's a player for you that stands out as someone where you go, this is my bloke, this is the guy that I'm behind. Don't worry about what everyone else says. They're all wrong. Who's that guy for you? Okay, so I had one locked and loaded. We did a mailbag on Locked On Bucks a couple of weeks ago. And someone sent in a question asking for favorite role players or pretty much pretty much the same question. Yep. And one guy came to my mind straight away. Luke Rashad, Baramute, and I say this, and, and most people go, what? Like, what are you talking about? This guy was in Milwaukee for five seasons. He averaged 6.9 points, 5.3 rebounds. Uh, so let's be honest, uh, the numbers don't jump out at you. But out of the 335 games he played, he started 233. Now, the Bucks weren't great, but this guy was really heart and soul. Defensively, he always got 
the the biggest matchup. You're talking about Kobe Bryant. Yeah, that would be the guy that the Mute would go to. He always got the the best wing uh, on the opposition, and he always fought on the glass. This guy had two out of his five point three rebounds, two point one per game on the offensive glass. He was elite on the offensive rebounds, and there was many games while the overall numbers didn't. Uh, look great over his time in Milwaukee. There was individual games where he would have 15 points, 15 rebounds, and he would be the guy that would help them win a game. I always loved the way he went about it. And unfortunately, you know, injuries really uh, took a hold of his career late in Milwaukee. He was able to sort of have a renaissance with the with the Rockets and, and Clippers and come back and become a, a pretty good shooter from the corners from three-point land, which he never really had with the Bucks, but yeah, I always like that guy. It's a strange one, but I always enjoyed watching him play. Now he is a really interesting player. Um, I sort of forgot that he played for the Bucks. I definitely forgot that he played for the Timberwolves, yeah. and he was part of the Kevin Love Andrew Wiggins deal going from Minnesota yeah. to to Philadelphia. Um, but pretty weird that he's out of the league at the moment. Like his last season, he played you know, only four games for the Clippers in 1819 uh, after being that huge part of the Rockets. Of course, knee injuries are a huge part of that, but it's surprised he didn't catch on somewhere uh, for this current season. But he is that guy, that, again, that doesn't put up big numbers, but you're really aggressive defensively, really aggressive with his rebounding. And then, yeah, as you said, went from a guy who hit you know, five threes and he's also he hit seven threes in his first four years to hitting uh, over 60 in two separate seasons. <laughs> So a, a big, uh, big step up from Mamute to be uh, at least somewhat of a threat down, uh, down there. Now, Kane, we don't know when the NBA season is going to kick back off. We don't know what's going to happen with the playoffs. Do you still, do you still think the Bucks uh, should be the favorite to, to win it all whenever it happens in whatever form it happens? Well, I think it's going to be interesting to see because the one thing we know about the Bucks, both last season and this season under Mike Budenholzer, they've they've started really, really, really well, and they've come into the, the seasons, uh, you know. At full throttle, and I, I don't think that that's something you would have to worry about for the Bucks is the long hiatus and coming back and being rusty. I mean, it's an unusual situation for everyone, but the one thing I think you should be confident with with the Bucks that maybe other teams we're not sure. Like, how are the Lakers going to come back? They were playing great basketball, almost the, the best basketball they played all season at the at the start of the hiatus. Clippers, um, they were still figuring things out. We know that they, they've had a bunch of guys miss uh, a lot of games through the season, but the Bucks, for the most part have been pretty consistent and particularly at the start of seasons play almost their best basketball. So I think that they would still be the favorite, particularly in the East to, to come out there and then whatever happens, if there's an NBA finals happens. But yeah, I don't think that this will affect them as much as some other teams. And particularly when you think about the fact that Giannis was actually down with a knee injury at the time of this happening. So maybe in some respects, uh, at the time, they would have been happy to have a week or two off. Obviously, not this long, but uh, it's funny the way things work out. It is going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. The Bucks were, were rolling, and again, that rest for Giannis could come in pretty handy when things do resume. Kane's going to have everything covered for us over on Locked on Bucks. Thanks for coming on Locked on NBA with me today, Kane. Anytime, Josh. Thanks, man.